turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Proverbs, chapter 3. In just a moment, I'm going to begin reading the first 10 verses. Our text this morning will be verses 5, 6, and 7. In a sense, those verses, those three verses, are a summary of guidelines to committed Old Testament saints of how they should live. In these three verses of 5, 6, and 7, you'll notice the word your, Y-O-U-R, your, appears five times. It has to do with daily living. And so in the sermon, I'll be using that term your quite a bit applied to your living, but I certainly am applying it to myself as well. Hear the word of God from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Some of you may remember the old films of the Moody Institute of Science. They came out many, many years ago. And in one of them, there was a scene in which there was an actual recording of a private pilot who had become disoriented, whether it was in fog or clouds, I don't recall. But he, you can tell in the terror in his voice, pleading at the control tower for help. In the control tower, he said, follow your instruments and follow our advice. Well, he tried, but pretty soon panic again came into his life, into his situation. And again, he cried out for help, and he said, this doesn't make sense. The instruments tell me to do this, but that's not right. And he refused to follow the instructions of the control tower and the instruments, and suddenly you hear a loud and silence. And he perished because he did not follow his instruments nor heed the advice of the control tower. I mentioned this to a friend of mine who was a private pilot. And he said, oh, yes, we pilots, we have a, a phrase for that. It's called flying by the seat of your pants. What does that mean? It means flying by how you feel. This poor pilot didn't feel that the instruments were correct, didn't feel that the control tower was giving him the right instructions, and so he followed his own feelings and instincts. As we look at our text, I want you to be asking yourself, whom will I trust in my daily living? 
Do I, too much, do, I do too much flying by the seat of my pants? We're going to look at a principle, and then a warning, and then a guarantee. Let's begin with the principle. What's a principle? It's a fundamental truth, a basic law, an essential rule to follow. It's given to us right at the beginning of verse 5. Trust in the Lord. There's the principle. How simple, yet how profound. The word trust is one of the most important verbs in Christianity. It's in the imperative form. That is, it's a command. Don't think about doing it. Do it. Trust in the Lord. Now, trust is basic in all of our various aspects of daily life, government, economics, currency, banking, institutions, marriage, other relationships. All of these function with some element of trust. Otherwise, society would deteriorate into a paranoia. The Hebrew idea of the word translated trust originally was the idea of throwing oneself down on the ground and extending oneself there. It came to mean to place the whole body on something in order to rest upon it. I remember reading about a missionary who was translating into a tribal language parts of the scripture. And certainly one of the main elements of the Bible is the idea of trust, believe, have faith in. But he couldn't find the word he needed. Until one day, a laborer came in from the field, very hot, very tired, and he collapsed in a chair, and he, whatever the word was, it was how good it is to trust myself to this chair. And at that moment, the missionary knew he had his word. That's the idea of trust, to rest upon, to cling to, to confine in, to set one's hope upon. So who do we trust? The Lord. In the Lord. That's Jehovah, the most intimate name among the Hebrews, the covenant God of grace. No wonder we are to trust Him. What a wonderful object in whom to trust. Trust in the Lord. And another interesting thing about the Hebrew, right before the word trust, is a little world word, right before Jehovah, is the word. El, E-L, pronounced El. It's a preposition meaning go in that direction of. Trust in the direction of Jehovah. Now there are two other phrases to support this principle in our text. One is at the beginning of verse number six. Acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That is, recognize the Lord and his revealed will. Not just intellectually, but with an earnest, penetrating understanding. Haven't we all experienced from time to time someone that does not acknowledge us as if we don't even exist? On occasion, I'll be in, in the fitness center or the store or someplace, and somebody I don't know very well, but at least I'll say, good morning, how are you? And they just pass along, <laughs> no, no response, nothing said in return. It's as if I was invisible and didn't even exist. What are God's thoughts when he is ignored, when he's not even acknowledged? The other phrase is the beginning of verse 7. 
or at the end of verse 7, fear the Lord. Respect Him with great reverence, recognizing who He is and His relationship to you. Examining this principle, there are two other phrases also we must note, because it answers the question, how much are we to do this? It's one thing to say, well, God tells us to trust in Him. How much are we to do that? Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all the center of your being, your intellect, your emotions, your will. The heart is the seat of one's spiritual life. And it's from this place, from the depth of who you are, from the depth of your soul, that you are commanded to trust in the Lord. Then also at the beginning of verse 6, in all your ways. In all your ways. All the paths you walk in your daily life. Not just in times of worship like this or other religious activities, not just in times of crisis or worry, but all the time in all the ways. Think of the vastness of that little word, all. It means that for the believer, we need to approach the Lord this way. Lord, you are commanding me to turn my entire life over to you completely, to stop trying to work everything out on my own. like I frequently do. How fundamental this principle is for conversion. The whole idea of conversion is what? You see your sin before a holy God. You find that Jesus Christ is revealed as the answer to the sin problem. And you are commanded to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. To trust in what he has done for you. Make it personal. And some people do that, and some people shrink back. Some do trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, others do not. It's also important for what we call the doctrine of sanctification, Christian living. To grow in our faith, we have to trust the Lord day by day. So there's the principle. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Knowledge Him. Fear Him in all our ways. Our text also gives a warning. And this is good news. Because our text tells us not only in whom to trust, but in whom not to trust. Who would that be? Our parents? Our teachers? Our friends? Our employers, our politicians, newspaper editorials? No. One way or another, all these may be helpful. But the warning of our text tells us about someone else that we must not trust. It's you. And it's me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. There's the warning, loud and clear, from the Word of God. 
In the Hebrew, the first word of the Hebrew phrase is, goes like this. On your own understanding, do not lean, as if the writer wants to emphasize that last part. You know your own understanding. You're pretty much aware of that. You, do, you lean on it all the time. But don't lean on it. Don't trust yourself. And your limited wisdom is the final judge. For your point of view will always be limited by your own very humanity and sinful humanity at that. The word lean in Hebrew is very close to the Hebrew word for trust. It's not quite as strong as the word for trust. The same idea there. Now, when you see the word lean, you might think of uh, like we, we lean backwards, we lean forward, lean to the side. The idea of inclining is not the main thought here. Rather, it emphasizes a man who supports himself. It's used of Samson in Judges chapter 16 when he tells the little boy leading him in the temple area, he said to the boy, would you please take me to the pillars so I can lean on the pillars. It's used of King Saul leaning on his spear in 2 Samuel 1.16. It's used of a king leaning on his advisors for advice. During my college and seminary days, during the summer, I had a wonderful job in my hometown working for the street department. We'd have various and sundry jobs. And there was one fellow, his name was Roy, older gentleman, and uh, he had a wonderful ability to lean on his shovel. And so he'd be leaning on his shovel, not always doing all the work he should be doing, until someone would say, let's get to work, everybody, the boss is coming. And he had an amazing way of just sliding his hand down the shovel and just keep going as if he was always working all the time. But he spent a lot of time leaning on his shovel. We're not to lean that way upon our own understanding. Yet isn't this the way modern society looks at how we are to do it? What do we hear? Self-reliance. Self-esteem. Good old Yankee know-how. The word, that little preposition, L, appears again before the word understanding. Don't lean in that direction. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his mind is a fool. Also look at the beginning of verse 7. The warning goes on. Be not wise in your own eyes. This is a common abuse by even believers who profess to trust in the Lord. To trust in their own eyes. Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. How often, every day of our lives, we deceive ourselves into thinking, this is the answer, this is what I must do, this is what I choose to do, this is how I understand it, without much of a thought about the Lord and what he has revealed in the scripture, what probably we do know in our hearts, but we have a tendency to just shove it to the side. I don't know who said this. It's anonymous. The greatest hindrance to all true wisdom is the thought that we have already attained it. This does not mean that we're not to use our minds and understanding. Of course not. 
doesn't mean we never reason things out logically. God has given us our minds. It's one of the most beautiful things about our creation as human beings in the image of God is we are rational beings. We think in concepts. We have think the past. We can think about the future in addition to the present. It simply means we're not to make them our final authorities, our minds and our understanding. Have you examined yourself, have I examined myself on this very point? Do you grasp the danger of self-trust? Let me put it a different way. Do you dare lean on your own understanding? Our days are before us as a giant labyrinth. What's a labyrinth? It's a maze. It's a maze of passages that keep running, having dead ends. The idea is to get from one point to the other, going through the maze, and you go down one passage, that didn't work. You have to back up, go over here, back up, then do it another way. At this point, let me insert these words of Chuck Swindoll. If you want to spend an exhausting day, try to work out your circumstances leaning on your human viewpoint. Chase down all the possibilities you can think of. When you hit a dead-end street, back out, then turn down into another one. Drive fast and slam on your brakes. Try a dash of panic, a pinch of fear, add a tablespoon of manipulation, three cups of scheming, and a handful of pills. When you're through, consider where you have been. How many times through our day, even we who are believers in Jesus Christ, end the day, if not physically, at least mentally, spiritually exhausted, because we've been leaning so much on our own understanding without thinking about the Lord and trusting in Him. Consider the significant decisions of life that we must make, our profession or our vocation our marriage partner, our place of residence, our friends, our investments, whether or not to change a job, purchase of a car. Let me go on and on. Major decisions that have a tremendous effect upon our future lives. Add to this the fallibility of human nature in general, our own limited fallibility in particular, daily influences of other people and events, unknown factors which thwart our wonderful plans, long-lasting effects of the decisions that are made. How much do you and I really know? One more thing about the warning at the end of verse 7. Turn away from evil. Don't overlook the moral aspect of this. Too often we're prone to overlook that. Sin clouds and distorts our minds. Our heads become too big. We make God and His Word too small. How much do we really turn from evil when the temptation rises up? Or do we rationalize and say, well, it's not that bad. It's something I want to do. Of course, the ultimate problem in ignoring this warning has to do with one's eternal destiny. Many ignore the gospel message 
and the gospel invitation that Jesus Christ died for sinners and was raised again that they might be declared not guilty because of Christ's righteousness. They ignore that and to their possible eternal destruction in hell. They will trust their own understanding. doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I could live with that. I would be too embarrassed. I can't humble myself that way. And they ignore the warning to not lean on our own understanding, to not trust our own eyes. Now, thirdly, there's a guarantee in our text. We look at our responsibility to heed the principle, trust in the Lord. We've considered the warning of what not to do, trust our own understanding. And now the good news of God's part in the process. The middle of verse 6. He, the Lord, will make straight your paths. Wow. How great is that? To trust in one who will make straight our paths. To make straight has the idea of cutting straight making smooth, removing obstacles that are in the way. As a young boy, I remember seeing a comic, and it pictured what a, a, a machine would be like in the future. And this showed this machine going through a, a regular field of rocks and shrubbery and so on, and in one stroke, clearing it out and laying down a road behind it. And I remember looking at that and saying, wow, wouldn't that be something? Well, I think we're pretty close to that nowadays. I think I've seen some machines on the highway that are doing all kinds of things, including laying the asphalt down. But that's the idea of making it straight. To put Interstate 5 through or any of our roads, the road had to be cleared, had to be made straight, had to be leveled off, obstacles had to be moved. That's the idea of the word. Isaiah chapter 40 picks up on this, talking about John the Baptist. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. That was John the Baptist's responsibility, to kind of clear the way, clear some of the obstacles away, So that when the Lamb of God one day appeared, he could say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was ready to begin his public ministry. The Lord will do that kind of thing for us. He will make straight our path. Now, in Bible times, paths were the primary means used for people to get around. They didn't have automobiles and cars and airplanes and that sort of thing. Even today, hikers appreciate good, well-marked paths if you're taking a hike through the forest or through some woods. Usually, the straighter, the better. Now, in my many years of being involved with youth camps, we'd always go on a hike of some kind, and invariably, as you're going one way and it'll turn around and go around the other way, they'll take the shortcut instead of following the more level path. And, of course, they get there sooner, but... (laughs) They were kind of worn out 
whereas those that follow the straight path find it much, much easier. Do you realize what this means for believers in Jesus? It means your life can have direction, purpose, meaningfulness. The Lord will handle any situation that comes before you. You will not have to wander aimlessly and look back upon wasted paths, wasted dead ends. Remember the Israelites in the wilderness, they had the blessing of what? The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. This little song that goes, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Remember our labyrinth? My cousin and I once were in a cornfield labyrinth. I think we were in about eighth eighth grade or so. And uh, we saw this cornfield and we thought, let's have some fun. You go one way, I'll go the other. And then get down on your hands and knees and we'll crawl around and see if we can find one another. See who finds the other first. So down we went and... uh, I don't know how long we were doing this, but he couldn't find me and I couldn't find him. I was getting very frustrated. Finally, I stood up. I said, Larry, where are you? And the priest said, way over there, he pops up. <laughs> As we apply to this spiritually, in our daily lives, we are down in the cornfield. We can't always see how things are going to wind up, how we get to the end of the path. But our Lord is above the cornfield. He sees us. He knows what is best for us. Our good shepherd who gave his life for sinners, he knows his sheep. He knows how to get us through even the shadow of death. Think of how Jesus himself submitted himself to follow his Father's will. It's not always easy, but everything in his life came together so that he could be our Savior and our Lord. Today, we don't have a daily cloud, which we follow. We don't receive visions like the Apostle Paul received. So what do we have? How are our paths to be made straight? As God leads us, how how do we follow? Well, most important is the Word of God. He's revealed His will to us. This is the way to go. These are the paths to follow. If you want to be happy and joyful and satisfied and successful, Obey what I revealed. And along with that, of course, is our communion with him in prayer, seeking him, acknowledging our sin, seeking his forgiveness, asking for his blessing, seeking the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, secondly, we are to use our sanctified minds. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes, let's use our mind, let's use our understanding, but through the lens of the Word of God. And thirdly, think of godly counsel by your parents, by Christian friends, by certain good books and DVDs and all the rest. We have a wealth of material out there to help you in your following the paths that you should. As we do this, consider Matthew Henry's words. We must believe God, excuse me, we must believe that God is able to do what he will. 
He's wise to do his best. And he's good, according to his promise, to do what is best for us. If we love him and serve him. Back in 2005, my first visits to Corvallis, beginning of my ministry here at Westminster Church, <clears throat> the first time I came over the bridge, there was a signal at the bottom of the bridge there. And I just felt like I needed to turn right to head northwest toward my goal. It didn't take me long to find out, wait a minute, I'm heading back toward Albany. So I had to correct myself. And my recollection is that on my second visit, I did the same thing. I got to the bottom of the bridge, and I just felt, flying by the seat of my pants, I should make the right at the first signal to head toward my goal. Made the same mistake again. Finally, I thought, i got to look at the map. What's going on here? So I got the map out, one of those old paper maps, you know. I looked, oh, I need to go one more block to 3rd Street and then make my turn. Once I followed the proper instructions, my path was corrected. Looking ahead to your coming days, even the days of this coming week, how will you be driving? What map are you going to follow? How will you be flying? What instruments are you going to be following? Who's in your control tower? Whom will you trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's pray. We thank our Lord that you've given us your word, the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this wonderful guarantee. As we trust you, you are right there, and you will guide us in the right paths. Help us, Lord, to turn from our evil ways and inclinations. Help us not to lean on our own understanding, but to remember the wonderful truth of the Scriptures. May they permeate our thinking and guide our living. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.